All right, let's go to Genesis chapter, chapter 16, and um, we're going to do part two. Last week, we talked a little bit about the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and uh, the name of God that we're looking at today is the God who sees me. Incredible name. Incredible meaning. And so this, there's so much truth in this story. I had to give it to you in part two. So last week was the appetizer. Today is the entree. And we're going to just uh, dig in just a little bit deeper into this story because I believe there's some incredible life lessons that we can learn from this story. So you'll see at the top, uh, to my right, to your left, all the way up the top there, the God who sees me. I've got some really good news for you today. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You are not a statistic. You are not a number. God sees you. There's 8 billion people in the world today. In America, there's 333 million. In the state of Florida, there's 22 million. In Central Florida, there's 3 million. In Orlando, there's 2 million. And in Belle Isle, the city we live in, 6,970 people. And I don't know how he does it. I'm not smart enough to communicate this to you today. But somehow, God has the ability of seeing you. It's incredible truth. And you show me a person who understands that God sees them, and I will show you a person who is confident in who they are and doing incredible works for God because there's such courage that comes when we realize that God sees us, that we matter. You matter today. And when I look up at that sign and we're worshiping, I'm going to say, yeah, God, thank you for seeing me. Lord, I know I feel alone sometimes. Lord, I know I feel depressed sometimes. I know I feel discouraged sometimes. Lord, I feel like a number sometimes. But God, thank you for seeing me. And he sees you today. And that's good news. So this story of, of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar has been overlooked, but there's incredible truth here. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham, I see you. I realize that you can't have children. I realize that your wife is barren and you cannot produce children. But if you'll just trust me, Abraham, I promise you I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you that thing that you've been believing for. You just got to trust me. I'm going I'm to stand behind my promise and I'm going to give you children. And as many as the stars in the sky, that's the number of children I'm going to give you, Abraham. And Abraham believed them. But there was some time that lapsed between that promise that God gave Abraham and Sarah. I guess she got discouraged. I guess she got defeated. I guess she started living in doubt. And she came up with a crazy idea. This is Jerry Springer stuff, man. This is TMZ stuff. This is crazy. But you know what? I find great value in that because you know what for many of us life is crazy sometimes and she comes up with this insane idea Abraham I got an idea why don't you sleep with our maid talk about crazy idea 
And then the Bible says these three words, and Abraham agreed. We're going to get to this in just a few minutes. This sin, this little thing is not little. It's got huge implications. Instead of standing up and being a bold leader and saying no, the Bible says Abraham agreed with Sarah and he slept with Hagar. And guess what? She got pregnant. The Bible says she started to despise Sarah, and Sarah started to despise her. And so her response to this crazy situation was, I'm going to run. I'm going to flee. Her name means to fly away. And how many of us, and, and when life gets crazy, and life gets insane, and you can't understand what's going on, and you're afraid, and you're fearful, and you're filled with doubt, you just run. And that's what Hagar did. She ran. And on the road, she encountered the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Hagar and said, I see you. Look, guys, she was pregnant. She was broke. She was homeless. She was an immigrant. She had all the cards stacked against her, and now she's running for her life. And the Bible says at the city, sure, S-H-U-R, that word there means the wall. She hit a wall. And I don't know if you're here today, you ever hit a wall. Is that that wall that God says, I see you, Hagar, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make some sense out of this. Go back. And submit to Sarah. And that's what Hagar did. Incredible story. So I love you too much just to slide over this and and just preach this one Sunday. So I'm going to give you part two here today. And we're going to look at life lessons that we can learn from Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. If you're still with me, let me hear an amen. So life lesson number one. It's there in your notes. You can follow along. We've got fill in the blanks here this morning. Life lesson number one. This is really, really incredible truce. Number one. When you change your location, you get a fresh perspective. When you change your location, you get a fresh perspective. Look at there in your notes in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. God said to Abraham, Abraham, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars and see if indeed you can count them. Now watch this. Abraham was, was in his tent His vision was limited, and God had to pull him from his tent, from his place of of, uh, just being normal and complacent. He pulled him out of his tent, and he told him to look up. You see, in life sometimes, in order for you to get your vision, you've got to see things a little bit differently. If you're content and complacent, and you're camping out in your tent, your vision is going to be limited. So God said to Abraham, come out and look up. And this is a life lesson we can all learn from. Sometimes God's going to require you to see things differently. And you've got to come out of your tent 
in order for you to see all that God has for you. You've got to change your location. You've got to change your perspective. And when you change your perspective, you see things differently. Abraham was limited inside his tent. So God said, come out and look up. And Abraham's vision changed because he changed his perspective. Are y'all with me this morning? So I live this this week. Beautiful illustration of changing your perspective. I had the chance to play golf. And believe it or not, God, God speaks to me when I play golf. I hit a ball in the woods, deep in the woods. It was a good ball. I remember my friend here told me great advice, never fall in love with a golf ball. I fell in love with this golf ball. It was a Nike, and I wanted to keep that ball. So I went into the woods hunting for my ball. On the path that I was at, I was deep, deep in the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) But I didn't fear evil because God is with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness, oh, I'm sorry. So I'm in the middle of this valley looking for my ball, and I couldn't find it. So I walked about 10, 15, 25 steps in the middle of the woods, and I couldn't see it. And when I turned to walk back, my perspective changed. And guess what? I found four balls. (laughs) God was speaking. God was blessing me. And as I picked up that last golf ball, I was reminded... I was on the same path, in the same woods, and the first time I'm walking down, I saw nothing until I got out of my tent and I looked up. And I changed my perspective. And when you change your perspective, you change your vision. And one of the lessons that we can learn from Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar is this. Sometimes you've got to change your location to change your perspective. Look at it a different way. Get out of your tent. Do something you've never done before. And when you change your location, you change your perspective. Look up and count the stars. Life lesson number two, if you're with me, let me hear an amen. I love this one. When you not only change your location to get a fresh perspective, number two, when God give, when a promise is given, patience is needed. When a promise is given, patience is needed. God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. God gave Abraham a promise, but with that promise, patience is required. What does that mean? God is not going to automatically or quickly answer every single one of your prayers. There will require a time in your life when you have to stand on the promise. And it's not going to come in a week. 
It's not going to come in a month. It's not going to come a year. It could be 10 years. But when God gives you a promise, patience is required. I'm wondering if you're here today and God has given you a promise. And if God has given you a promise to heal your body, to save a wayward son or daughter, to heal your marriage, to turn around your business, most times it doesn't come quickly and automatically. It requires for you to stand on the promises. And I want to remind you here today, church, are you all with me? If God has given you a promise, stand on that promise. Hold on to that promise. If Abraham would have just applied patience, God would have given him his son the right way. But he got impatient. And I'm preaching to the choir here today because I am terrible at patience, especially when I'm driving. I think I cut some of you off on the road today on the way to church because I just get impatient, and I think you do too. When God makes you a promise, make sure that you have the ability to be patient and patiently wait for that promise to come into fruition. Stand on the promise. There's an old hymn in the church, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God our Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. If you're here today, God's given you a, a promise. Stand on that promise. Stand firm. Don't waver. Ask God to give you the patience needed to see that promise fulfilled. Because every time God gives a promise, patience is required. Are you all still with me? Number three, I like this one. Another life lesson we can learn from Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar is always ask for second opinions when making life-altering decisions. I wish Abraham would have picked up his mobile phone and called somebody he trusted before making this decision. I wish he would have emailed somebody, texted somebody, and said, hey, John, Sarah just gave me an idea. She wants me to sleep with our maid. What do you think of that? The reason, y'all are enjoying this today, aren't you? He made a poor decision. And if he would have asked a trusted friend for advice, I almost guarantee you that every single person would have said, that is not a good idea. But apparently he had no one to talk to. And I'm going to give you some advice here today. When you are making a life-altering decision, ask 
your friends. Now, this is what I want you to do real quick. In your notes, real quickly, I want you to write the numbers one, two, and three by this point. Write one, two, and three. And here's my advice for you today. I want you to write down three people that when you are getting ready to make a life-altering decision, you are going to call them first before you decide to sleep with your maid. And the response you're going to get from your friends is probably some really good advice. And if Abraham would have done that, this story would have never been in the Bible. See, the challenge is there's some of you here today, you've been saved for 50 years, and you've got no one to call. You don't have a close enough friend that you can trust in that you can call. Now, I'm not talking about Facebook friends. Those are not friends. Friends are people that know you and you have their number and they have their, your number. Those are friends. Three people that you can call that when you're making a life-altering decision, you can call them and say, what do you think? And if you don't have three people, I would suggest you get three people quickly and have them in your phone that you can call when you're making a life-altering decision. God will bring people into your life that are going to see things from a different perspective and they're going to add value to you. And when you come up with this crazy cock-out idea that you're going to sleep with your maid, they're going to say, heck no, you're not. That's not a good idea. But yet people, Christians, walk through life with no trusted friends and no one to call. When making a life-altering decision, always get a second opinion. You do that with your medical care. Why wouldn't you do that with your spiritual life? If you're going to get a medical second opinion, it's always wise to get a life-altering opinion from a trusted friend that you believe in. Can I get an amen? amen? Number four, here's another life lesson we can learn from. I love this one. Critical times demand decisive leadership. Critical times demand decisive leadership. Look in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. It says, and Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. You know what I would have told Abraham? Abraham, man up. Abraham, be the leader. Abraham, learn to say no. You see, when you're faced with critical times, decisive leadership matters. And Abraham should have set up and said, no, that is not a good idea. We are not going to do that. Decisive leadership is needed in critical times. Can I brag on our leadership team just for, just for a minute or two here? We've been, as a church, through a three-year process of, of leaving the United Methodist Church and, and joining a conservative Bible-believing denomination that's going to help us as we move forward as, as a church here in Bell Isle. Can I tell you something? The guys and the girls and our leadership team have performed admirably these past three years. They made tough decisions. And critical times demand 
leaders to, to, to stand up, and they've done that, and I applaud them today. Thank you, leadership. Yeah. For leading through difficult times. Don't say it didn't cost us. It cost us a lot to leave. But our leadership team understood the critical nature of what was going on, and they stepped up and they did the right thing. They knew when to say yes. They knew when to say no. And that's what is demanded in life. There's going to be times where you've got to stand up and just say no and be a man, be a woman of your word and be firm in your convictions. And if Abraham would have done that, we would have never been talking about this today. But Abraham gave in and he agreed with what Sarah said. Critical times demand decisive leadership. Number four, number five. I love this one. A life lesson we can learn from Abraham and Sarah today is winners never play the blame game. Look what Sarah said in Genesis chapter 16, verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abraham, now, now, Abraham did what Sarah told him to do. And then after he did it, then she blamed him. Oh, that's a, that's a whole sermon in itself right there, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. And Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. You know, I've been, I've been in ministry for, well, since really 1979 when I graduated from, out of high school. And I've never seen a culture that we're living in right now, that so quickly blames other people. Winners never play the blame game. You cannot go through life blaming everybody in your life, from your kindergarten teacher to your parents to your president Winners don't play the blame game. And Sarah shows us her character in this story by saying, I told you to do something. You did exactly what I told you to do, and now it's your fault. Let's be people, Bible-believing disciples of Jesus Christ that are not going to walk through life blaming other people for the condition that we are living in. It's called taking personal responsibility. Quit blaming your ex-wife. Quit blaming your former pastor. Quit blaming your president and the leaders that have been elected and take personal responsibility and follow Jesus Christ and quit blaming other people. It's unhealthy and it's rampant in our society. Winners don't play the blame game. They take responsibility. Can I get an amen? Are y'all with me this morning? Number six, I love this one. Here's a lesson we can learn from this story. You can't run away from trouble and you can't outrun God. You can't run away from trouble and you can't outrun God. The Bible says that Hagar in Genesis 16:6, so she fled, she ran. How did, how did running from God work out for Jonah? Didn't work out real good, did it? 
Do you all know that Jonah's name means dove? Dove. David said, if I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. Guess what? Wherever you fly to, the trouble is still there because the trouble is within you. See, I've seen people join other churches because they're leaving trouble in their past church. And guess what happens? They show up at a new church and trouble's there. Well, the trouble's within. Doesn't matter where you go to church, trouble's going to be there. You know people get a divorce thinking that all, all I need to do is get a divorce and things are going to be great. And guess what? They get married one time, two times, three times. The trouble is still there because the trouble is within them. You can't run from trouble and you can't outrun God. And Jonah is a beautiful illustration of someone tried to run from trouble, run from God, and you can't do that. And I'm so glad that God showed up to Hagar. She was running from trouble. She was broke and homeless and pregnant. She was trying to run, but God stopped her and said, I see you. You're valuable. I believe in you. You're going to make it. And when we follow the principles that God lays out for us and not run, but deal with them. The Bible says face trouble. Face it. And when you face it, you're able to deal with it. But you're never going to deal with it by running from God. Can I get an amen? amen. Number seven. We talked about this last week. I want to just emphasize this. When God asks questions, he already knows the answer. When God asks questions, he already knows the answer. He wants you to know the answer. So the angel of the Lord asks Hagar two questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? Two questions. And God knew where she came from and God knew where she was going, but he wanted her to know where are you going and where have you come from. Where have you come from deals with your past. Where you're going deals with your future. Let me have your eyes and ears. Your future is more important than your past. And when you focus on the past, you will never get to where you're going. Where have you come from and where are you going? So God speaks sometimes in mysterious ways to me. I think he does to you too. So I had to go. I'm on the, I'm on the Governor DeSantis' faith committee, and I had to drive down to Clearwater for uh, our quarterly uh, meeting. It was on fatherlessness. Incredible topic. Very meaningful. So I'm uh, driving, and I got the radio on, and I was into Tampa Bay, a new radio station, an incredible song came on that reminded me of not looking back. And it's from the group Boston, Don't Look Back. And I flash back to the 1980s. And there I am in my Toyota Camry with a Zaxby's three-piece chicken on my lap <laughs> with this song, Boston, Don't Look Back. And I was like, God. You're speaking to us. And so I thought I'd just bless you guys with just a little bit of sound clip from Boston's song, Don't Look Back. Go ahead, guys, play this one. Yeah, come on. Hallelujah. So I'm going down I-4. Zaxby's sauce on my lap, 
this music playing, don't look back, Boston. And I was like, yeah. And my head was bobbing. I had that snarly look on my face, and I was just rocking away. I was like, yeah, God, help me not to look back. What a great reminder that, that, that God can even use Boston to remind us not to look back. And then guess what? The next song, I'm not going to play it, but the next song was Bruce Springsteen, You're Born to Run. <laughs> Watch this. This is powerful. Boston, don't look back. Bruce Springsteen, you were born to run. Oh, I like that. Don't look back. Where are you going? That's what God wants to communicate to us. And he said that to Hagar. Hagar, don't focus on your past. I want to concentrate on where you're going. You were born to run. You guys know the story of, of Lot and his wife? She was, she was called to go to a new place, to a new city, to encounter God in a new way. And the Bible says she looked back and became a pillar of salt. You guys know this, but a pillar of salt, that word there means statue. Do you want to live as a statue? Or do you want to follow God and move forward? And that's what God said to Hagar. Hagar, we're at a critical point right here. You're homeless, you're pregnant, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're angry. Don't look back. You were born to run. Don't become a pillar of salt. Make the changes and, and, and move forward. And I'm going to show you that you've got a destiny ahead of you at this critical turn. Whenever God asks you a question, he always knows the answer. He wants you to know the answer. Where have you come from and where are you going? I heard someone say that a rocket ship doesn't have a rear view mirror. Not like that. I'm moving. I'm going. I'm not going to become a statue. I want to be moving and following God and following the Holy Spirit and going where he's leading me. Help me not to look back. Thank you, Boston. Thank you, Bruce Springsteen, for speaking to us and reminding us that we can't look back. We've got to look forward. Can I get an amen? amen. I thought you were guys were going to like that a little bit more. <laughs> Number eight. Real quickly. Bruce, come on up here. And, and play Boston's Don't Look Back, will you? <laughs> Number eight. Real quickly. Secret sins have public consequences. I told my kids this a thousand times. What you do in the dark will be shouted from the housetops. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know that this little sin of Abraham sleeping with Hagar and producing their son Ishmael has got huge consequences and ramifications? Huge. Do you know that the religion Islam was birthed from the sin? You know there's 8 billion people in the world today? Guess how many are in the religion of Islam? Over 2 billion people. Oh, Pastor Scott, it really doesn't matter what I do. No, it really does. If you'd have called a few friends, they'd have walked you off the cliff. And we wouldn't be talking about this. And maybe there wouldn't be 2 billion people worshiping a foreign god. 
But because Abraham and Sarah and Hagar didn't have friends, they didn't have people they could talk, call, to call, talk to, they gave in. And the ripple effect is huge. Sir, when you have an adulterous affair, there's incredible impact. That goes on from generation to generation to generation. When you can't handle your alcohol, it's got incredible ramifications. When you're addicted to pornography, there's an impact. Your kids are affected, your grandkids are affected, and from generation to generation to generation, little sins have big consequences. And look what God said about Ishmael and ultimately the religion of Islam. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Wow. Two billion people, 25, 30% of the world worship Islam because of one little sin. Don't think that your consequences or your, your actions don't have consequences. Yeah. Everything in the darkness will be shouted from the housetop. It's called the ripple effect. It matters what you do. Are you all with me? Number nine. We've got to go. Confidence is magnified in you when you know that God sees you. I love that. Confidence is magnified in you when you know that God sees you. God said in Genesis 16, Hagar, you are the God who sees me. There's something powerful when you realize that God sees you. It births confidence and courage in you. God sees you. And you've got to believe that you serve a God and worship a God who's there watching you. How many parents do I have here today? You remember going to the sports, volleyball, basketball, football? Like, when my kids got older, it wasn't cool for dad to be there watching, but it was really cool because dad was watching. Never missed a game, except one time. Aaron hit a grand slam home run, and I was at a church event. I promised I'd never do that again. Every game. I didn't have pom-poms. I didn't take my shirt off and write their initials on my chest. I just was there watching. And when they looked up in, when they looked up in the stands, confidence was birthed in them when they saw their dad there. And when you are walking through life, You've got to know that you know that you know that daddy's watching you. He's in the stands and he believes in you and he's cheering you on. And when you have that, it builds confidence in you. You show me somebody who knows God's watching them and I'll show you somebody who's secure, solid, strong, not wavering. You've got to know that someone's watching you. Remember one time, Amanda who's very intelligent. She's not very athletic. She came home and she, she went to Orangewood Christian School. She came home and she said, 
Dad, I got some great news. She said, the track coach wants me to be on the track team. And I said, yes. I said, honey, that's fantastic. What are you going to do? She said, Daddy, he wants me to do the shot put. Shot put, the five-pound shot put. Now, I thought in a million years, there's no way my daughter is going to be on the shot put team. So I went, and I supported her. You know, they had a big, big circle that you go in, and, and she, she might as well just have dropped that thing because there was no shot put in it. I mean, she just... But guess what? As Amanda's dropping that five-pound ball three inches, I was there supporting her, watching her. It didn't matter what she did or how well or bad she performed. She knew that as she's pushing that little five-pound ball three inches, my dad's there. He's watching me, and it builds confidence. I want you to leave today in just in like three minutes. I want you to leave today and know that whatever you're doing, God is watching you. He's the God who sees. Now here's the last life lesson, and this is the most powerful of all ten of them. Here it is. Life change happens when you see the one who sees you. Stay with me. Well, this is powerful. It's one thing to know that God sees you. It's another thing entirely to see the one who sees you. It's not as important to know that God sees you. It's more important for you to see God who sees you. And she encountered God. And you'll see it there in your notes. It's the well of the living God. Watch this, church. She had a revelation of who God was. She, for the first time, in her homelessness, in her pregnancy, in her depression, in her discouragement, she saw the one who sees me. And that's where real life change takes place. The spring of the living God bubbles up in her because she saw the God who sees me. I hope you begin to see God in a new way. Because life change happens when you see the one who sees you. Remember the song we used to sing? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Watch this. I want to see you. I want to see you. Come on, sing that again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, I want to see you, see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your and love as we sing holy, 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 want to see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory, pour out your and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Come on, let's stand up together and sing this. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. 
Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Come on, church, sing it again. Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out. Pour out your power and love. As we sing holy, holy, holy. Holy. eyes, he would have been filled with courage and not doubt. If Abraham had the ability to see God, he would have been filled with that leadership ability that says, no, it's not a good idea. Sarah, she had a beautiful glimpse of God. She wouldn't be blaming everybody else for all the problems. Hagar, homeless, pregnant, discouraged, Living in the past, if she gets a glimpse of Jesus, her heart is shifted from her past to her bright future. It's important to know that God sees you. It's more important to see God who sees you. And whatever you need, if you get a glimpse of God, he's going to work it all out. As you cry, holy, 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 revelation of who he is becomes a reality and it brings change into your life today. Doesn't happen by good preaching. It happens by revelation of you saying, God, I want to see you. Lord, I've seen you in the past, but I want to see you in a fresh way. I want to see you in a new way. I want to see you high and lifted up. When you cry holy, 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 your focus is off of the issues you're dealing with and it, it's on a beautiful, holy God, the name above all names, the God of my life, the Lamb of God, the God who gave us birth, the God who's able, the God who's near, the God of all comfort. Holy, 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 I want to see you. 
redeeming God, almighty God, a nail in the firm place, our atoning sacrifice, the I am, the God, Father, my shield. See, the revelation happens when you see God and cry holy, holy. 